Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger, and I'm really excited today to be uh, joined by my new friend, J.R. Rivera. J.R., how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. It's phenomenal to be a part of this. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate it. We, uh, we connected uh, earlier this week on social media. Just been following you a little bit on Instagram, and some of the stuff you're putting out is, like I said, some of the best best that we're following so we're excited to have you on here talk about your book talk about the sessions you got going on so it's gonna be good absolutely all right so 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 here's the first question we always ask everybody that comes on uh could you tell us about your favorite teacher and why that person was your favorite teacher um i would have to say my favorite teacher was probably my sixth grade teacher miss jill Leonardo. She uh, actually opened my eyes up. I was in an honors class for the first time, and she actually opened my eyes up to the perspective of me being more than an athlete and tapping into my intellectual ability and just the exposure of, of using different gifts, such as you know being able to draw or being able to speak or write. So I would have to say that she was probably my favorite teacher. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's really good. and. and- you know, the thing we, we ask that that question to everybody that comes on and, you know, the thing is, it's, it always seems to be about the relationship between the student and that teacher. I, I feel like that's the biggest thing that always seems Absolutely. to be the most important part. Absolutely. That's very important. You know, people want to feel like people, not just another student, not just another number in a classroom. They want to feel, you know, that that uh, actual connection. And I always say that. The great teachers make you not be able to identify between family and school. Like you feel like everyone's family. You feel like the classroom's family. So that's what I think the great teachers do. Yeah, and is that is that something you strive to do in your classroom now? Absolutely. Absolutely. I try and, you know, give them that father figure, big brother type love. You know, always drawing that line to let them know that I'm not here to be your friend, but I'm here to help you. And, you know, sometimes it's going to be some tough love, but at the same time, I want to celebrate your victories. Ab- absolutely. So, so if you were a, if you had to describe your teaching style as a superhero, how would you describe it? Or which superhero would you pick? Oh, man, that's a good question. As far as superheroes, I would have to say I would be more of like the Batman, you know, at the midnight hour, you know, I come in and, you know, that light has to be shined and someone has to save the day. You know, I'm that guy for it. And, you know, I don't I don't really want all the recognition. So I don't mind wearing the mask and, you know, coming in and doing the dirty work and, you know, no one really knowing who it is. Absolutely. That's 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 a good one. That's that's a really good description of that, too. So um, a couple more just kind of warm up questions. What how would you describe your philosophy on education? My philosophy is to reach and then teach. Like, I always try to relate to the students. You know, whenever it comes to trying to show someone how to do it, whether it's my kids at my own house or, you know, helping someone else on, on the outside area or in the classroom, it's always about reaching. You know, you talked about relationships, and that's a very valuable part of what I do is building that relationship and that trust first. And then trying to teach them, not trying to come in and feel like I'm the superior, but that I'm, I'm really at eye level and able to help them. Right. Do you, do you think authority really works with today's kids, like in terms of getting them to do 
the work they need to to be successful as a student and as a person? There's no one size fits all, man. There's some kids that I have to be really tough on. I give them push-ups, jumping jacks, and I got to talk to them really strictly. And then there's other kids that you got to love on and, you know, you got to bring them along the way. And then there's some kids that just get it. All they need is for you to show them. So there's no one size fits all. And the authority side of it does have to be there. You have to you have to be able to wear more than one hat. So, you know, yeah. back to, to the superhero, you know, Bruce Wayne, He's got to be a millionaire, and he's also got to go out there and get his hands dirty. So that's that's pretty yeah. much what it is in the classroom. Absolutely, absolutely. So you know, from your perspective, what what is the state of education right now? Um, I feel that the state of education is not enough people are educating; they're just picking up a check, and at the same time, the important things that kids need the love, the care, the discipline, the purpose, those things are being left out for testing and, you know, planning and trying to pursue an objective that only justifies the end mean of getting a school grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and where exactly do you teach at? I teach for Pitbull, the rapper Pitbull. He has a school, Slam Miami, so I'm in Miami. Um, we have actually uh, eight different locations. We'll be at 10 locations uh, very soon coming up on this year. So um, I'm at the founding school down in Miami. Yeah, you know, when it's it's crazy. I my, my business partner and I met when I was teaching in Houston. He is still in Houston, and I moved uh, to the Minneapolis-St. Paul, Minnesota area to be closer to uh-huh. my family because I grew up in Wisconsin. And, you know, I thought it would be different when I moved back to Wisconsin, but it's not. It's exactly like you described it with, you know, certain people teaching to pick up paychecks. And, you know, I take I had to take a ACT, a meeting about ACT prep once a week this year. And it's just it 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 gets like you said, it gets in the way of really digging down deep to to what kids need. So, no, man, that's really awesome. So you're the school you're at is a charter, right? Then. Yes, it's a public charter school. So we can take anyone from any area. You know, there's no zone for us. We just don't have a busing system to get them there. But we make it, you know, where anyone can come from any of the surrounding areas. There's no stipulations that are stopping them from coming. Yeah, I guess, you know, knowing that you're in Miami, what is what is the, the educational culture like down there with what happened in Parkland last month? Is it? Has it changed a lot down there in Miami since that's kind of the area where that hit? Um, to be honest, uh, I actually stay up near the Parkland area and I drive to Miami for work. Uh, the main thing is, you know, awareness. There's there's a lot of awareness now and no one feels like it can't happen to them. But at the same time, you know, I feel on my own behalf that, you know, it's, it's a situation where it's an isolated situation. And it's all about this gun control, and I feel like they're going about it the wrong way that we should be focusing on exactly what we just said, developing young men and young women as leaders, and the rest of it will take care of itself. Putting a gun in a teacher's hand is not going to stop another kid from coming and trying to shoot up a school. It's just going to make a mess. That's all it's going to do. When you you add mess to a mess, you get more mess, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. That's 100% true, and I just... I think I and I watched 
you know, the news coverage of all of the March. I'm, I've been so impressed with that, what that group of students has done and how, you know, students and teachers have rallied around the country. It's, it's our, the, and the kids in our country today are so capable. And I think, like you said, if, if we really foster them into leaders, our country is going to be on the right path. Absolutely. All right, so so let's get into a little bit of the the meat of what we want to talk about, which is which is your book. So so describe a little bit uh, your book. What's eating up your time? Because that's what we wanted to bring you on here to talk about today. So I created this book mainly because I saw the need in the school system, and also uh, being a former professional athlete, just seeing that people really you know, lack the development of time management and if they could get that skill early on, how much it could help them later on in life. So I started writing and I came up with an interactive book that would help someone create a purpose-driven routine that would help them maximize their day because whether you're in the bum up under the bridge or a billionaire like Oprah Winfrey, you only get 24 hours a day and it's up to you how you use those 24. So I try and help people realize how they're actually using their, their time and seeing all of the dead time that we may spend on social media or we may spend looking at YouTube videos or kids playing video games or just, you know, driving in the car, listening to music and all these other things. So I try to show people, you know, the way that I've kind of catered my schedule and helped myself develop and grow as a young man is basically trying to maximize that time on a daily basis and from the little small things and details to driving and listening to an audio book where I'm developing my ability to speak and using my gift and understanding that that time can also be used for something greater than just a drive point A to point B. I'm actually getting some reading done. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to your point on social media, and I, I did want to talk to you about your social media feed because the stuff you're putting out is is really good. So how do you or how have you yourself like developed that balance between like knowing that it's important for you to put stuff out on social media to help people and not getting caught in the trappings of everything that social media offers. Because I'm definitely at that spot where I know I want to keep putting out good content, but I can find myself getting lost. You know, and once you get lost, you can lose 15 or 20 minutes in the what feels like the blink of an eye. Absolutely. Well, what, what I try to do is I always try to go on with a purpose. You know, just the way that I live my life is, is purpose-driven, so I try to keep that purpose in perspective. And we all, you know, fall into different things where you click on one page and you end up 10 pages on, away on something else. Um, but the main thing is for me, to always, I'm always looking for quotes. I'm always looking for, you know, stuff that inspires me. You know, and I try to put those things back out there because I feel like there's at least a couple people out there in the world that probably is going through the same things or they may feel the same kind of um, connection to situations that are going on. So I try and be transparent with myself. You know, that's how I really catered my social media. You know, a lot of people think, oh, man, he's posting this for me or this or that. A lot of times I'm talking to myself. So yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's actually kind of like that and. You know, I, I try and take a little bit of a pulse of what my audience is and the feedback that I'm getting. You know, I realize that people really enjoy my quotes. People really enjoy the topics about school. They enjoy the topics even on my faith side. So, 
and seeing my kids. So those are things that I try to, you know, mix it up and I try to make it, you know, worthwhile for someone to see, you know, just not making it a run on of the same things. I try not to post five and ten times a day. You know, you can you can really overload your audience. You know, no one wants to see everything that you do. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, on on that vein of you know of your social media and your teaching, how do you how do you really strive? Because it 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 seems like what you do is super authentic and super genuine to who you are. So, how do you how do you merge that you know your purpose with you know what you put out there so that it it is authentic? And what is the value of being authentic? Oh man, there's so much value in being authentic. I just had the pleasure of um, being a part of a conference yesterday with Tony Gaston, which is probably one of the top, uh, definitely quote and thought leaders of our time. And he was talking about authenticity and the way that he developed his was, you know, no one else was putting out quotes like that. And and Tony Gaston, he decided he was going to put out a quote every hour of the day that he was awake, he would put out a quote and he would just go and, you know, kind of like meditate to himself and see what his spirit was telling him and he would put it out there. And he said he has, I don't know, like 50,000 quotes out there, original quotes. And I thought that was really cool because when I was doing what I was doing, I started off just posting every morning. I wanted to help kids and I knew what time kids got up in the morning to go to school. So I tried to hit that time frame and educators so I was posting for that particular audience and I was just wanted to be consistent. So the big thing for me is to be consistent and to also, you know, be real and relatable, being real, relatable and, and consistent is what really is important to me. And that's what I strive to do with my social media is to make sure that I'm consistent and I'm real and I'm relatable and the rest takes care of itself. That's awesome. And, and that's the thing, too, I really like that you said. Um, you know, cause there, there are certain times where you can definitely blast way too much content and, and water down the things, um, that you're saying, because, you know, I looked at, uh, just a few that stood out to me was, um, the, the one you talked about the turtle and you were talking about, you know, what are you willing to stick your neck out one inch for? And I just, I thought that was such a such a profound thing to say so can you can you talk about that what you what you put on on that post about the turtle only sticking his neck out one inch um i i really like to look at animals um i don't really watch tv much but when i do i like to watch like animal planet because i think animals really teach us a lot so you know i just was thinking about a turtle and you know the pace of a turtle a lot of people feel like they're not going anywhere but if you could just stick your neck out one inch for whatever it is that you believe in just imagine how much further you could get. You know, the turtle knows that he's not going very far, but he just continues to stick his neck out, and eventually he gets from point A to point B. So I just wanted to give that illustration. I'm, I'm really big with illustrations. I wanted to give that illustration to others. You know, don't get discouraged because of the time that it's taking, that it's going, it's going by slow. Just keep sticking your neck out, and eventually, inch by inch, it'll become a cinch. Yeah, I thought I thought that was really profound. And the other the other one that really stood out to me as I was looking through it was you were talking about planting seeds and it was such a great video, but at the end you you said today's decisions determine tomorrow's meals and I thought that was one of the one of the most profound things I've ever heard a teacher say to a group of kids that 
I mean, how did your kids respond to that when you said that to them? I mean, they worked on a whole nother level that day. They worked really hard, and um, they asked a lot of questions, which is always what you want as an educator. Um, the biggest thing is I, I realize you can only eat what you kill in this world, so to speak, in a hunter's mentality. And your decisions each day will determine what you get in your tomorrows. You know, it might not be 24 hours from now, but it could be 10 years from now. But a decision that you make as a high school kid to – you know, go out and strive for greatness and get A's and B's that might benefit you 10 years from now where you can provide for your family on a whole, whole nother level. So that was where that thought process came from. Yeah, and I just, I really liked what you said and and my my partner Wilkie talks, I mean, this is his big things. He is such a big believer in you reap what you sow. And I just loved how you described, you know, that, that analogy of the tree where if you if you plant an apple seed, eventually it'll be an apple tree and eventually then you'll eat the apple. Do you feel like, you know, kids are struggling today to really have that little bit more of a long-term mindset? Oh, yes, absolutely. They are only focused on as far as their hand, as far as they can see their hands. They have no concept of future. Future to them is tomorrow. Future to them is 10 minutes from now. Future to them is by the end of this week. They have no concept of a two-year, five-year, three-year, whatever plan. In the future, they have no no uh, thought process when it comes to those things. And I always ask them, hey, what do you plan on doing with yourself four years from now? Uh, they don't even realize that they'll be into their second year of college or they'll be in their third year of college. They don't recognize that it'll be time for them to start thinking about what career they're actually going to be in. So I think they have no concept of what the future really means. It doesn't mean, you know, where you can see, you know, you got to see past it. I like this quote that I always use with them and it's the eyes cross the ocean before the feet. So you, you can see very, very far if you use your vision and then you allow your feet to take you there. And I think that the kids, they, they use their feet as their vision. So it's, it's, it's really small outlook on life. Yeah. So, so on that vein, you know, what kind of habits or what kind of things are you doing with your kids to try to help them see? Because where, where I teach, I teach, you know, in, in north central Wisconsin, uh, predominantly like n- – 99% white kids in, in a rural area, but I teach in, in the alternative school where I have 25 at-risk kids, and we really struggle with the same thing of getting them to see beyond, you know, like you said, their hands. So what are some of the things you try to work with them on or habits you're, you're trying to build with them to help them kind of have that at least a little more long-term mentality? Well, well it's something that I'm actually coining, so I don't want to see it too much detail of it, but um, actually writing their purpose on their paper. Like, you write your name, date, period, and purpose in my class. I want to know why you're here. Like, you can't be in my class just because your mom said you have to go to school. You can't be in my class just because you got to take math to go to college. Like, are you here because you want to be the first one in your family to graduate? Are you here because you want to be able to, I don't know, get your grandmother from Cuba into America and you got to become a doctor? You know what I mean? Like, right. why are you here? Why do you wake up in the morning? And helping kids identify 
one thing that they can say, you know, this is why I need to wake up in the morning and, and give 110%. So, so the students you got down there in Miami, what, what would you say are maybe the, the main struggles that they're going through right now? Um, being comfortable. Being comfortable by far. I deal with a lot of students that come from other countries. So what you have to understand from that dynamic that I learned um, since I've been in Miami the past five years is that when kids come from a third world country or a rough uh, culture where, you know, they're used to not having AC, they're used to not having books, they're used to not having anyone that cares, when they get an opportunity to be in an environment where, okay, now I have an AC, but there's 10 people living in a two-bedroom, it's okay to them. You know what I mean? Like, they're okay with being below average or being average. They're okay with that. You know, and, and that's really the main struggle to me as for teaching before that prior to that the three years before I came to Miami I was in my hometown and a different set of circumstances and students they were able to be pissed off for greatness so to speak I like to say that uh, Ray Lewis was famous for that but being pissed off for greatness has to be a part of you know some kids uh, thought process understanding that if you don't want to eat what your parents eat, then you got to do what your parents didn't do when they were your age. And we're not talking about, you know, circumstances and finances and all of those things. We're just talking about simple work ethic, you know, putting pen to paper and getting the job done. Right. Right. And that's, and that's such a, a different thing is, you know, the, the, I'm a big believer that most kids are going through some kind of trouble and some kind of anxiety and they, they have struggles, but, um, the kids that we have just, the biggest problem we have is anytime there's a little adversity, they just don't have a lot of skills to cope and, and it usually just turns into anger and, and they lash out anytime something gets tough for them. And it, it's just really hard to get them to see that. You know, like you said, if, if they want to have a different life than their parents had, they got to take the steps that their parents weren't willing to. Right. And a, a lot of a lot of people, not just students, but even educators, they uh, they tend to they tend to run from adversity. And that's a natural human reaction is to run from things that don't feel good. But if you want to actually pursue your purpose, you have to run to the things that don't feel good because it's in those struggles that you develop the character and the skills that are necessary to go to the next level. And those are some of the things that you kind of try and instill with them with a simple math problem. A lot of kids will, hey, can you help me, sir? Can you do this? Or I need help. And you'll go there and, and it's like they didn't even they didn't even write the question down yet. Yeah. They haven't even tried to do the first step. And that's what I try to teach the kids. Go to what you know. Get as far as you can go and then ask for some help. Because sometimes if you go to as far as you know, it'll start, you know, allowing your mind to process what the next step could be. And you just keep trying. And uh, that's something that I try to implement, especially with the math side of things is, hey, at least you know it's a triangle in geometry. Okay, so if you know it's a triangle, what's the total for all angles? 180. Now we're getting somewhere. You know what I mean? Instead of you just calling me over because it's a problem that in the end is probably multi-steps, but it's all stuff that you already know. 
Yeah, we we have that struggle, especially with because our students, we have them four of the seven periods a day. And the only content area classes we teach them are social studies and science. And then we do a, a character development and team building with them. But any anything that resembles reading or anything related to reading before they even start, it's just it's just like pulling teeth because, yeah, a lot of them are struggling readers, but it's so hard to help them get over the hump of just appreciating the fact that reading is good for them and that reading is something something that is necessary. So I, I, I understand what you're saying there. So you, you've talked a ton about purpose. Do you have a, you know, a particular purpose statement like this is this is my purpose? Yes. I mean, a lot of people don't really know what MILE stands for. It stands for, one, going the extra mile, being willing to outwork your situation. But the acronym is basically my purpose and it's my inspiration lives everywhere. You know, I, I want my inspiration to actually live everywhere, you know, on, on different continents and in different cultures. I want people to understand that they can outwork their situation and not to become victims, but victors. So that's pretty much my purpose. Oh, that's awesome. And, uh, yeah, that's that's really good because I had that written down as a question because I see you have the hashtag of, of mile on every single thing that you post. So I wanted to ask you about it, but that's that's really good. So then kind of on that vein, if if we go out, you know, down the road, say 10, 15, 20 years, what are you hoping your legacy is then with, you know, within that purpose? Oh, I would definitely have my own school. That's that's very big to me. I want to have my own school and have more than one school and also be able to provide a educational uh, atmosphere for students where they get those teachers that truly value the opportunity to teach and where I'm able to pay teachers more than what, what they're being paid right now. So I want to be able to create a system that, you know, goes against the status quo, so to speak, of underpaying teachers and just hiring anyone and building a building. I really want to be able to do that. So that's why I'm actually where I am with the whole Pitbull school. They're right. actually helping me understand what it looks like from the inside out to actually develop and start a school. Yeah, I uh, I was at um, South by Southwest Education, not just this past couple of weeks, but in 2017. And, and um, I heard Andre Agassi speak about how they're they're using like social venture capital to to build um charter schools but then they're filling them with teachers and and they're doing some really interesting stuff so you might want to look at what the, the former tennis player Andre Agassi's doing I and I think he's working with the Kip schools but no that's awesome and like like you said it's the big thing that we always talk about is do you feel like and maybe this I'm trying to think the right way to phrase this question do you feel like teachers really understand the value of that job and, and how important it is and how much potential they have to make an impact? I think very rarely. I think they look at the same thing as the students, just the right now. They don't look at, you know, if I can actually see that this kid that likes to argue could become a lawyer or the kid that walks around with a basketball could actually provide for his family and become an NBA player or go to college on a scholarship. I don't think they really look at the value of the things that they say and the way that they treat a kid could actually ultimately change the course and direction of their lives. I don't think they really 
think about that on a daily basis. It's more maybe the beginning of the year, maybe the end of the year, they might ponder those thoughts, but not on a consistent basis where they realize that they have their fingerprints on the lives that they're trusted to teach each year. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and we were doing some research for a couple of presentations and we looked, you know, there's, you know, 100 or 320 some million people in the United States and there's about 3.5 million teachers in the U.S., which is, you know, roughly 1%. And I'm and my my buddy Wilkie was just like, do you realize that the 1% of the population that is teachers impacts all the other 99%? And that just blew my mind. Wow, that's pretty dope. You know, to, to think that, you know, being a teacher, you know, you are maybe not seeing directly that you're impacting all, all other 99%, but we as a group of teachers have have that impact. And, and like you said, I think it kind of gets lost, the, the, the value of the words you say and the actions you take with kids um, and, and what I, I just really strive to do the best I can to model authenticity and, and you know, going, going through the struggles myself. Because I was, I was in Texas eight years and had a really good life down there, but I moved back to Wisconsin to be closer to my family. And there have been some struggles of, you know, assimilating back to, you know, the area where I grew up and it's, right. it's been, it's been different for sure. So, yeah. That's, that's definitely, um, an impactful thing to do is to go back to the area where you're from. That's what I did when I first started my educational path. Um, I was playing arena football at the same time and I went back to my hometown and just to know that it is, it's way harder, you know, biblically, you know, Jesus couldn't even do his, his miracles and his works in his hometown. And, you know, that's the, that's the mindset that I still have is, you know, it's a lot harder to impact where you're from. You know, it's like others are more receptive to you and they want to help you more than the people, you know, that you care about the most, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, on a, I'm, I'm going to get a, a little bit of personal advice from you if, if you don't mind. I just found out, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago that my teaching contract is not being renewed. So so the school district I'm working with, it's it's not that the position's being cut. It's just that they don't want to bring me back. So I'm kind of wondering if you have any advice on how to really, you know, approach these last couple months, you know, knowing that I'm not not going to be back, but also, you know, how to, how to, you know, to approach the conversations with students, you know, when they start to find out that I'm not going to be back and, and how to really, you know, deal with a bad situation and, and use it to, to teach kids the right way to deal with adversity. I would say show kids that you give over, give the value, like go there and be the best teacher that you could possibly be for these last two months and just let them know you empty your bucket no matter what the circumstances are because the same way that you got this job you're gonna get another one that's yeah. that's gonna happen because you have the heart for the kids and you you're doing it for the right reason people think that they can dictate your path and your future but they really can't everything is happening for you not to you type thing and if yeah. you can really hone in on that thought process and go in there and really show these kids what it looks like to know that someone doesn't want you there 
but you're still giving 110% regardless instead of making excuses saying, hey, I know I'm not going to be here, so I'm not going to waste you guys' time and make you do this or make you do that. That is what the normal person does. That is the way normal people deal with adversity is to stop working and just letting them know when adversity hits, you hit adversity back with work ethic and just showing them what it looks like to keep working and keep grinding regardless because eventually your school is going to have to tell another school how you finished up the year and who you are. And it's always the last impression that you leave. You know, I would leave a good taste in their mouth. As far as an employee, I would just give my very best and, you know, not talk down or bad about the school or the students, which is very hard. Right. But if you're able to do that, man, it'll set you up for a situation that's 10 times better, guaranteed. Mm, appreciate it, man. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, what's what's going on with your book. Because you said you're about to start a book tour, right? Yes. And So, I- so we are... Me and my my uh, colleague, which is uh, Ivy Box, she actually was on TV. She was one of the top entrepreneurs, uh, black female, and she wrote a book herself. And we're both deciding to go on tour together as speakers and authors. And we are both from the same hometown, which is Fort Myers. So we have an event there, and we decided that we're going to kick off our book tour there. Um, April, around April 14th, and then we're going to start doing other cities. So we have the other cities in mind of Atlanta, Miami, and then we're working on our last stop, which will either be New York, the D.C. area, or L.A. Yeah, that sounds really good. Is it, yeah. is it interesting to be like, God, it must be awesome to just be like, yeah, I'm going to, do you just wake up and say to yourself like, yeah, I'm going on a book tour and feel good. Cause that's got to feel awesome to, to be like, yeah, going on a book tour. Oh yes, definitely. It, it makes you feel like all of the days of writing and going through the publishing uh, problems and going through the selection of titles and all these other things that you go through as an author, just understanding that you can finally truly get it out there my book was actually published last year but i did some revamping and editing and different things and and now i feel like i'm truly ready to go out and get it out to the different markets um i already have it in a couple of schools but my goal is to get it in at least 100 schools i want it to be a supplemental educational tool that will help students develop that time management uh perspective and also for educators so that they can realize you know what they could do with their day as well um so that's that's just something that's you know a must for this year to get that that side of things rolling awesome man so uh to finish up if if you could give you know teachers in general advice but let's just qualify you know a teacher a teacher who's struggling you know for whatever reason you know what's some good advice you've gotten as a teacher that you you would really like to share with teachers who maybe are struggling or maybe aren't struggling, but just a really good piece of advice that you think all teachers need? Um, I think a piece of advice for all teachers is to control what you can control and at the same time get a mentor, someone who does what you do but does it better. Like find someone. My first year, I, 
actually was an intensive reading teacher. I've never taken reading in my life. So I had no clue what I was going to be teaching. I didn't go to school for education. I went to school for business. And I find out like two weeks before school starts, hey, we're not going to have you teach math. We're going to have you teach intensive reading. I was a football coach. So that was the main reason I was going to be at the school. No one knew what I could do in a classroom, not even myself. And I found a woman that was probably about close to 60 years old that had the most success in the school as far as their reading scores. And I just picked her brain and found out what she did. And I just happened to have this gift of making things more interesting and being able to motivate. So I used my gift with her uh, style and I was able to get so many kids to pass the reading test. I didn't have a class for two periods, so they had to figure out something else for me to teach. It was it was amazing. Yeah, and I really love, like you said, you know, you, you took advice, but you also made it, you know, coming back to authenticity, you, you made it your own. You didn't, you didn't, you know, try to exactly copy what someone else did. And I think that was a struggle, especially that I went through, and I know a lot of new teachers go through is, you know, you try to carbon copy what works for somebody else. And, and for me, it just didn't quite work. And But as I've grown, you know, in my eight years as a teacher, I've learned how to take take those bits and and filter them in with who I am and, and what I'm good at to really make make an impact for kids. I think that's, that's a great piece of advice. Absolutely, absolutely. So... So closing up, is there is there anything you know we can do to help you out? Any place we can direct people to follow you, or or anything other than your book? Which again, the title of the book is "What's Eating Up Your Time." I would think the big thing was to get me into your school system, get me into the schools, bring me in person. So anyone that's listening to this podcast, if you're an educator, you have kids, or you care about the educational system, you know, find a way to get me in. I'm that superhero that's trying to save the day and you know each opportunity that I get to do so somebody's life is going to be impacted and changed whether it's a teacher a student or a group of students or a group of schools so that's my big thing is you know getting a uh, book to come and speak at more schools and implement the process that I've created to actually push forward the the actual teaching and the actual uh, potential of students with that purpose driven routine and that's really what I'm, what I'm trying to do you know the book is just an added in, added in feature that I needed to make that happen but right. being able to go out and speak and move somebody uh, physically mentally and emotionally from where they are to where they could be and then having them want to chase that each and every day is what I look to do awesome man well uh, like I said we're, we're super appreciative of your time and uh we hope that everybody enjoyed this podcast this has been episode 39 of the led project podcast if you want to connect with us we are at value adds value on instagram or you can send us an email at the podcast or sorry not at the at podcast at the led project.com so jr man super duper appreciate your time thanks for coming on again we really appreciate it my pleasure my pleasure and i love what you guys are doing and I wish you guys the best. Thank you.